With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. By certain laws, methods, and rules, which it is their first business to learn. It is then, first and before all, a real art. It is the oldest, because it was known and practised, long before painting and her sisters were in existence or even thought of. It is older than any of the muses from whose company she who tells stories has hitherto been excluded. It is the most widely spread, because in no race of men under the sun is it unknown, even though the stories may be always the same, and handed down from generation to generation in the same form. It is the most religious of all the arts, because in every age, until the present, the lives, exploits, and sufferings of gods, goddesses, saints, and heroes have been the favourite theme. It has always been the most popular, because it requires neither culture, education, or natural genius to understand and listen to a story. It is the most moral, because the world has always been taught whatever little morality it possesses, by way of story, fable, apologue, parable, and allegory. It commands the widest influence, because it can be carried easily and everywhere, into regions where pictures are never seen and music is never heard. It is the greatest teaching power, because its lessons are most readily apprehended and understood. All this, which might have been said thousands of years ago, may be said to-day with even greater force and truth. That world, which exists not, but is an invention or an imitation, that world in which the shadows and shapes of men move about before our eyes, as real as if they were actually living and speaking among us, is like a great theatre, accessible to all of every sort, on whose stage are enacted, at our own sweet will, whenever we please to command them, the most beautiful place. It is as every theatre should be, the school in which manners are learned. Here the majority of reading mankind learn nearly all that they know of life and manners, of philosophy and art, even of science and religion. The modern novel converts abstract ideas into living models. It gives ideas. It strengthens faith. It preaches a higher morality than is seen in the actual world. It commands the emotions of pity, admiration, and terror. It creates and keeps alive the sense of sympathy. It is a universal teacher. It is the only book which the great mass of reading mankind ever do read. It is the only way in which people can learn what other men and women are like. It redeems their lives from dullness, puts thoughts, desires, knowledge, 
and even ambition into their hearts. It teaches them to talk, and enriches their speech with epigrams, anecdotes, and illustrations. It is an unfailing source of delight to millions, happily not too critical. Why, out of all the books taken down from the shelves of the public libraries, four-fifths are novels, out of all those that are bought, nine-tenths are novels. Compared with this tremendous engine of popular influence, what are all the other arts put together? Can we not alter the old maxim and say with truth, Let him who pleases make the laws, if I may write the novels? As for the field with which this art of fiction occupies itself, it is, if you please, nothing less than the whole of humanity. The novelist studies men and women. He is concerned with their actions and their thoughts, their errors and their follies, their greatness and their meanness, the countless forms of beauty and constantly varying moods to be seen amongst them, the forces which act upon them, the passions, prejudices, hopes and fears which pull them this way and that. He has to do, above all, and before all, with men and women. No one, for instance, among novelists, can be called a landscape painter, or a painter of sea-pieces, or a painter of fruit and flowers, save only in strict subordination to the group of characters with whom he is dealing. Landscape, sea, sky, and air are merely accessories introduced in order to set off and bring into greater prominence the figures on the stage. The very first rule in fiction is that the human interest must absolutely absorb everything else. Some writers never permit anything at all in their pages which shall divert our thoughts one moment from the actors. When, for instance, Charles Reed, alas that we must save the late Charles Reed, for he is dead, when this great master of fiction, in his incomparable tale of the cloister and the hearth, sends Garrett and Dennis de Burgundian on that journey through France, it is with the fewest possible of words that he suggests the sights and persons met with on the way. Yet so great is the art of the writer that, almost without being told, we see the road, a mere rough track, winding beside the river and along the valleys. We see the silent forests, where lurk the routiers and the robbers, the cut-throat in, the merchants, peasants, beggars, soldiers who go riding by. The writer does not pause in his story to tell us of all this, but yet we feel it. By the mere action of the piece and the dialogue, we are compelled to see the scenery. The life of the fifteenth century passes before us, with hardly a word to picture it, because it is always kept in the background, so as not to interfere with the central figure of the young clerk journeying to Rome. The human interest in fiction, then, must come before all shells. It is of this world, wholly of this world. It might seem at first, as if the limitation of this art to think human placed it on a lower level than the arts of painting and music. That, however, is not so. The stupendous subjects which were undertaken by the old Italian painters are, it is true, beyond the power of fiction to attempt. It may be questioned whether they are not also, according to modern ideas, beyond the legitimate scope of painting. Certainly, just as there is nothing in the whole of creation more worthy of being studied and painted 
than the human face and form, so there is nothing more worthy of representation than men and women in action and in passion. The ancient poet placed the gods themselves upon the stage with the furies and the fates. Then we have the saints, confessors, and martyrs. We next descended to kings and great lords. In our times, painter, poet, and novelist alike are contented with plain humanity, whether crowned or in rags. What picture, let us ask, what picture ever painted of angels and blessed souls, even if they are mounting the hill on which stands the four-square city of the Jasper Wall, is able to command our interest and sympathy more profoundly than the simple and faithful story truly and faithfully told of a lover and his mistress? Is it, therefore, the special characteristic of this art that, since it deals exclusively with men and women, it not only requires of its followers, but also creates in readers that sentiment which is destined to be a most mighty engine in deepening and widening the civilization of the world. We call it sympathy, but it means a great deal more than what was formerly understood by the word. It means, in fact, what Professor Seeley once called the enthusiasm of humanity, and it first appeared, I think, about a hundred and fifty years ago, when the modern novel came into existence. You will find it, for instance, conspicuous for its absence in Defoe. The modern sympathy includes not only the power to pity the sufferings of others, but also that of understanding their various souls. It is the reverence for man, the respect for his personality, the recognition of his individuality, and the enormous value of the one man, the perception of one man's relation to another, his duties and responsibilities. Through the strength of this newly-born faculty, and aided by the guidance of a great artist, we are enabled to discern the real indestructible man beneath the rags and filth of a common castaway, and the possibilities of the meanest gutter-child that steals in the streets for its daily bread. Surely that is a wonderful art which endows the people, all of the people, with this power of vision and of feeling. Painting has not done it, and could never do it. Painting has done more for nature than for humanity. Sculpture could not do it, because it deals with situation and form rather than action. Music cannot do it, because music, if I understand rightly, appeals especially to the individual concerning himself and his own aspirations. Poetry alone is a rival of fiction, and in this respect it takes a lower place not because poetry fails to teach and interpret, but because fiction is, and must always be, more popular. Again, this art teaches, like the others, by 